Good evening, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The full number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Because it's Friday, we'll give you a little more leeway with the phones. And I've been talking all week, doing two shows now. But, 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 oh, 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 I've got something very important to tell you. Hang on. Where is it? This is actually super important. I want to pull it up. I want to make sure I'm reading it. Keep the pig farmer happy. Here we go. 95 and 5 tenths WSB helps you with your daily commute with triple team traffic. Now we're giving you more relief for your drive time you get a chance to win $500 or more in free gas. That's right. Here's what you got to do. You want to win 500 bucks or more in free cash, you go to wsbradio.com, register. Then you listen weekdays at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 4 and 5 p.m., and we're going to announce your name. You call, you win. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You got to listen Monday morning at 8 during Atlanta's Morning News on 95 and 5 tenths WSB, and you get a chance to win a lot of money for gas. Yes, that's what you want to do. Don't don't call here now looking. You go to wsbradio.com, you register, and then you got to listen at 8, at 10, at 4, at 5. Yes, we want to make sure you're listening to us as if there, I mean, there really isn't any other radio in town anyway, except for a bunch of liberals. So you might as well stick around here where you get factual news. Speaking of factual news, we've got to go to New Hampshire, where the president of the United States States has kicked off his 2020 campaign. I bet you didn't know it. The media really didn't want to report this. I saw very few media um, outlets that were actually willing to report this accurately. What this was in New Hampshire is the president beginning by going to New Hampshire, a state he lost and expected to win, going to New Hampshire to begin making his case for re-election. And what is his case for re-election? Well, I want to play you some audio clips of the president of the United States making his case. The United States right now has the hottest economy anywhere in the world. We're rebuilding that awesome might that we were just talking about, our United States Armed Forces. America is working again. America is winning again, and America is respected again, respected like never before. Yep, the economy. The economy is going to make his case, but I want to walk you through a few more sound bites. Yes, we're going to get to Greenland, please. I, I have been waiting since last night to talk to you about Greenland. Really, the Greenland story broke uh, right after I got off air last night, and I wanted to interrupt Mark Aram and come back on to talk about it. I've been waiting for more, basically 24 hours to talk to you. But this actually is more substantive and important news here, the, the president making his case on the economy. Oh, trust me, we'll get to Greenland. But here's more of the president. My administration is fighting to expand opportunity for citizens of every background and every race, religion, color, and creed. Very important. Because we are all Americans. We all share the same home. We all share the same heart. We all share the same dreams. We are all children of the same almighty God. 
I want you to pick up very importantly one of the things the president is doing in that clip. He's trying to go for inclusive language. Inclusive language. As in, stop calling him a racist, which you know well that's going to mean the media is just going to amplify it. But he wanted to pick up on that inclusive message and go here with minority unemployment, perhaps the most winning message the president could deliver on the campaign trail to lure in black and Hispanic voters is to tell them their their rate of employment is better than it has ever been in this country. Unemployment for African-Americans, you've heard me say this many times, I'm very proud of it. Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans have all reached their lowest rates ever recorded in the history of our country. Lowest rates in unemployment in the black and Hispanic community ever reached in this country and... Wages are rising quickly. Remember when I used to say people have been working two and three jobs making less money than they made 21 years ago. I used to say it all the time. Now I can say for the first time in 20 years, wages are rising And you know who's the biggest beneficiary? Blue-collar workers. See what he's doing here? He's got the economy for the suburbs. He's got lowest unemployment in black and Hispanic community for minority voters. He's got opportunity for all for the suburbs. He's got wages rising for the blue-collar workers and this. Our shared Republican agenda is pro-worker, pro-jobs, pro-family, pro-growth, and 100% pro-American. America first. He echoed that in this clip, too. I love our country. I'm the president of the United States of America. I'm not the president of the world. And as long as I'm president, America will never bow to a foreign nation like we were for so many years. <laughs> Subtle jab at Barack Obama there. That's his message for re-election. It's going to be the economy, the economy, the economy. There are problems, though, with the economic message. If there is a slowdown, remember I talked to Chris Burns yesterday. We've had the inverted yield curve. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Janet Yellen, who used to be president of the Federal Reserve, says, hold on. Yes, we should be worried by this, but we're probably going to bounce back. The reason is because of what the president said. The economy of the United States has more cushioning than any other economy on the planet. Okay, now the president threw some red meat to the crowd that incited the media. You can imagine what it is. It's so funny to me how so much of the media wants to say he's lying about this. You can hear it for yourself. Yeah, I mean, the man said it. Not, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. Listen to this clip. Uh, wrong one here. Let's see this one. Virtually every top Democrat also now supports late-term abortion, ripping babies straight from the mother's womb, right up up till, right up until the moment of birth. And in the case of the Virginia governor, he's having a rough, rough time. In his case, the baby is born. And then he goes to talk to the mother. The doctor talks to the mother. The baby is now born, wrapped, as he said. And then they decide whether or not to execute the baby. That is why I've asked Congress 
orders to prohibit extreme late-term abortion because Republicans believe that every child is a sacred gift of God. Hard to believe, isn't it? Democrats are now the party of high taxes, high crime, open borders, late-term abortion, and socialism. The Republican Party is the party of freedom. We are the party of the American worker, the American family, and the American dream. And I'm fighting for you each and every day. That is the president's re-election message now. The Democrats are too extreme. The Democrats are too radical. The Democrats are too socialist. The Democrats are too all about abortion. Meanwhile, we got a good economy. We got stability. He's the president of the United States. He's not the president of the world. Black unemployment is an unemployment on an all-time low. Hispanic unemployment at an all-time low. White unemployment at an all-time low. Everybody's got a job. Wages are going up. People aren't going to have to keep working multiple jobs to bring the same take-home pay. We got good growth. Don't let the socialists do it. Rah, rah, Trump that's it that's the president's re-election message the democratic counter to this is that the president's crazy the president's unstable and we can do better because the nation's coming apart of the seams that is essentially the message they they're actually to some degree trying to talk down the economy i think they don't want to say so joe biden is one of the few who's not Biden is out there saying, we're not going to talk down the economy. Meanwhile, you've got Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, uh, Cory Booker and the like saying, oh, the you may not realize it, but the economy's really awful. You're having to work multiple jobs and they see something that the president said. Wages are going up. Fewer people are having to work two jobs, three jobs. People are able to work their one job and make more money. It's, it's a, a very, very interesting dynamic that we're seeing here. The Democrats' essential message has to be moral, cultural. The president wants to have an economic message. And remember what I told you the other day, and this is part of the problem with the tariffs and the trade war and uh, the president causing all the world leaders to fight with each other over trade. And, and it is our president who has done this. It's, it's no one else. He instigated it by applying tariffs uh, to multiple countries in Europe and Asia and Central and South America. And now everybody's squabbling with each other, all the world leaders. Everybody wants each other to lose. And if the president starts hurting the economy through his tariffs, which is why, by the way, they're backing off these latest round of tariffs. It would hurt Georgia. The latest round of tariffs would actually put tariffs on the cranes that they're installing at the Savannah port. He backed off of those because it would have driven up a lot of costs, including import costs, that weren't supposed to be put under a tariff. He's also backing off tariffs on toys because that would be passed on to consumers at Christmas. He's backing off these things, and I suspect we're going to see him back off some more on the worry that we may have a recession coming because of this inverted yield curve. Real quickly, uh, several people, I see them texting me and instant messaging me, what, what the heck is an inverted yield curve? Normally, normally you get better rates uh, lending to the government short-term than long-term. Um, I'm sorry, you, you get better rates long-term than short-term. People don't typically, um, or, I'm sorry, I'm screwing this up. Let me slow down. Take the bond rates for the two-year bond, the 10-year bond, the 30-year bond. Typically, what happens is you have your lowest interest rate on the two-year. You have your highest interest rate on the 30-year. 
people buy the 30-year bond, the government pays them back over a long period of time. When the government starts paying a higher interest rate on the short-term bond, it means they have to lure investors in because investors are skeptical about the economy in the next couple of years. So the government has to jack up the interest rate to get people to uh, put money on the short-term bonds as opposed to the long-term bonds. So when the interest rate on the short-term bond starts to increase above the interest rate on the 30-year bond, that's an inverted yield curve. It's happened every time we've had a recession in the last 50 years. But we had Chris Burns here yesterday who pointed out, you know what? It also happens when we don't have recessions. Like two years ago, it happened. So it doesn't mean that we're going to have a recession. It typically crops up before we have a recession. It's something you got to be mindful of, but it also doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Greg in Marietta, let's go to you first tonight. How are you, Greg? Hey, Eric, happy Friday to you. TGIF. You too. Well, I've been in the investment industry for 35 years. This is the about the fifth or sixth time we've had a yield curve inversion. Uh, yesterday, you were correct. It does not cause a recession every time. Right. It does not cause a recession tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It will be roughly 18 months in the future as a, as a regular following of GDP going negative following the inversion of the yield curve. And it's got to stay inverted for it to be a true signal. That is the useful. Market, the market, S&P 500 index, the economy will continue to do well, and at some periods have done quite well after an inversion for the next 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. So this is key, uh, and Wall Street is very concerned about tariffs and trade due to communication. The yeah. markets, Wall Street, can handle negative news. It can handle positive news because there are trading strategies and patterns to follow for each. However, uncertainty is the biggest problem for the stock market. Definitely. And Greg, I, I got to leave it there, I'm afraid. We got a president. hard break. But thank you very much. That's helpful. Yes, uncertainty is a terrible one. And hey, guess what? Elizabeth Warren gets elected. There's you some serious uncertainty. Greg, thank you very much for that. That was very helpful. Thank you. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to discuss guns momentarily. We, we actually do. Um, you know, I have filled in for a couple of very prominent national radio shows in the past, and the two issues I was always told never talk about unless they're absolutely relevant to the news are guns and abortion. And man, have they been relevant in the news of late. Um, it, you know, I mentioned this morning, it, we're going to get to guns, trust me. Um, it, I mentioned this morning on Mother Show that Google employees are demanding that Google not work for the federal government's uh, database program because they're afraid it will be used to round up illegals. The database would be used to round up illegals. Uh, they and, and Amazon workers and others have protested working for the government in military programs because uh, they don't want to help the government with the military. Uh, now Walmart employees are demanding that the CEO speak out on gun control and several Walmart stores saw employees walking out of this, this woke corporateness. And here's the thing that, that's striking to me. All of these corporations 
in various shapes and forms do business with the Chinese who are about to march into Hong Kong and kill everybody, more likely than not. Keep Hong Kong in your prayer and let's hope it doesn't come to that. But the Chinese actually literally, unlike the United States, I'm sorry, AOC, the Chinese literally actually run concentration camps in Western China. They have turned cities in China into surveillance states. They kill people who are openly Christian. They tear down churches. Um, They punish anyone who speaks up and dissents. Uh, And the left is willing to do business with them, which kind of makes you realize they're not really big into the civil liberty stuff they claim right now. And yet they want to boycott Georgia because of the fetal heartbeat. The, The left wants and corporations are complaining about Georgia and the fetal heartbeat legislation and saying they're not going to do business here, but they will actually do business with a country that runs concentration camps. Wokeness is hypocrisy. And one of those issues is guns. And you're starting, you see the CEO of Walmart is now speaking out, saying Congress needs to do something. Silicon Valley speaking out. You got an article in in the Atlantic magazine that, you know what, let's just put a uh, tax on guns and make it so expensive that uh, criminals and crazy people aren't going to be able to buy them. Uh, But, well, the president has something to say on this as well. I want to play this clip for you. I'm not going to tell you what he says. But listen to how he closes his argument on guns and the crowd reaction. The reason I say that is because when a crowd reacts, President Trump, for all of his faults, is a great marketer. And if the crowd doesn't draw the applause that he thinks it should, he drops something. If the crowd goes wild for something, he says, that becomes his message. I want to play this clip for you. You judge for yourself how the crowd reacts. And you've been reading about this a lot lately. We are working very hard to make sure we keep guns out of the hands of insane people and those who are mentally sick and shouldn't have guns. But people have to remember, however, that there is a mental illness problem that has to be dealt with. It's not the gun that pulls the trigger. It's the person holding the gun. Yeah, I'm leaving the applause there for you to hear. It's not the gun that pulls the trigger. It's the person holding the gun that pulls the trigger. I guarantee you the president is going to use that line a whole lot more given the crowd reaction. That standing ovation for the president went on for over a minute and it was a standing ovation. That standing ovation went on for over a minute when the president said that it's not the gun that pulls the trigger. It's the person holding the gun that pulls the trigger. And the crowd went wild. This is going to be the president's message. But focus as well on what he says about mental health. And we got a problem here. Um, Brandon Beach is running for the 6th Congressional District. I don't want to drag him in here. uh, And I don't want to misquote Brandon Beach here because I'm sure he's going to get beaten up by some people. uh, And he's trying to very carefully thread the needle here to make sure people understand he is pro-Second Amendment. Um, the AJC is saying that yeah, he, he does want to find a way to deal with um, crazy people getting guns. 
and he was in the state legislature and this is the race Karen Handel is in as well and Marjorie Taylor Greene is in it and she pictures herself as absolutely uncompromising on gun rights uh, the AJC is uh, I suspect they're they're making something bigger out of this than there actually is uh, on I, I'm I'm sure they are making something bigger out of Beach, but um, what Brandon Beach is saying is that yes, he's pro Second Amendment, but and the but is very careful here. We've got to find a way, if we can, to keep criminals and from getting guns, but more importantly, from keeping crazy people from getting guns. And one of the things that now, now people are hearing this, and and, and his opponent, oh, what's her name, uh, Marjorie, what's her name? It's not Karen Handel is coming after him in this. Uh, and keep in mind, they're running against Lucy McBath, who lost a son to gun violence, so that they they got to deal with this issue. Um, oh, what's the woman who's who's running, Marjorie Marjorie Taylor Green, who is absolutely Second Amendment? Oh, there's some stuff out there about her, but. Um, already some of the people tied her are pouncing on Brandon Beach on this issue. I don't want to speak for him, but I will tell you that I what I'm hearing him say is what other Republicans are saying, and this is where the president is going to go. So there have been multiple instances in this country now of insane people buying guns legally that never should have been allowed to buy guns. And the reason they were able to buy guns is because the paperwork that flagged them as an insane person never made it into the database used for the instant background check. I mentioned the story the other day on air that in North Carolina, they had something like 280,000 criminal convictions added to the uh, database and it stopped 80 people from buying guns who had no business buying guns. There's a massive backlog. I mean, that was North Carolina. Over 200,000 felony convictions had not been put into the federal database. In Texas, I think it was the Texas shooting, the Sutherland Spring shooting, where the man walked into the church. The man lawfully bought his gun and should have never been allowed to buy his gun because he was, I think it was, in his case, dishonorably discharged from the military. And there was a red flag there, and it never made it actually into the federal database. There have been multiple instances of this happening, and when Republicans like Brandon Beach come out and say, I'm Second Amendment, but we got to do something to keep crazy people from buying guns, and we got to make sure that uh, we have a system in place to prevent that, that's what they're talking about. If you are a Second Amendment supporter, you should support that. Why? Because it's already the law. It is already the law. You may not know it's the law, but it is the law. Every single person who goes to buy a gun. You know, I, I see some of the, these gun activists out there saying, it's harder to buy cold medicine than it is to buy a gun. That's, you've clearly never bought a gun. That is a lie. It is not true. When you go to buy a gun, unlike buying your Sudafed, where you, they just scan the barcode on the back of your license. When you go to buy a gun, you have to fill out paperwork. And then they have to enter all the paperwork. And then they have to run a background check on you while you're standing there if you want. Now, it's pretty quick. It's not nearly as quick as buying Sudafed. But you got to fill out all this paperwork. And they ask you a series of questions and ridiculous questions like, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Have you ever lied on this or done this or done that? And what they're trying to get you on is technicality so that if you lie at all, they can throw the book at you like they're doing with Jim Beck by adding stuff to him. Um, they, they go through and say, oh, oh th this happened through mail. We're going to get you on mail fraud now. 
they transmit this information for you to buy a gun and you put in uh, willfully put in wrong information. They say, oh, wire fraud. Not only did you try to buy a gun, but you committed wire fraud. That's what they're doing there. It's not easy to buy a gun. It should be easier, frankly, for sane, law-abiding citizens to buy a gun, but we got to deal with crazy people already. So because of the crazy people, we're having to make some compromises here. And making sure the law works is already designed and already in place, that's an easy one. We should do that. Don't beat up Brandon Beach for wanting to do that. Athens-Clark County has decided to stop uh, arresting people for possession of marijuana. Now, this is, of course, under an ounce. Uh, they're going to treat it as, as felony otherwise. The the police are announcing this, not the district attorney. And this goes appalling counties in this situation. DeKalb, Gwinnett, Cobb, um, I think Richmond County now over in Augusta. I think Chatham County, um, I'm sure Fulton is coming. Uh, remember, it was so funny, all the people said, oh, you're going to have aggressive district attorneys who are going to prosecute women for miscarriages if you pass the fetal heartbeat. Well, who knew that actually it was if you legalized the, the growing of hemp in Georgia that uh, the DAs and police officers would say, you know what, we're not going to arrest people for recreational marijuana anymore. Now, what's actually going to happen in Athens is they claim, they say, wink, wink, they're going to save your little bag of weed and they will test it once they have a way to test that it actually is uh, of, of significant THC strength to come back and issue an arrest warrant and prosecute you. They're probably not going to do that for a misdemeanor if it's less than an ounce of marijuana that you're. And, you know, honestly, who carries around a, a little bag of hemp? Who, I mean, is who carries around a little bag of hemp? The, the people are carrying around weed. They're not carrying. They're carrying marijuana. They're not carrying hemp. Uh, but this is the way for police to stop doing this. Essentially, we're seeing law enforcement and prosecutors advance recreational marijuana in Georgia without the legislature, because the legislature legalized the growing of hemp. And hemp and marijuana are supposedly identical in appearance, so they can't tell whether you actually have hemp or whether you have marijuana, so they're just not going to arrest you in Clark County. In other places, they're not going to prosecute you, which means the police aren't going to arrest you. But again, this is important. They say they're going to take what's on you that they suspect is marijuana. They're going to tag it. They're going to put it in an evidence locker. And when the Georgia Bureau of Investigation has set standards for testing the potency of it, they will circle back and issue an arrest warrant to you. The odds are, if you got less than an ounce of weed, they're they're not going. Of course, the odds are, if you got something on you that's less than an ounce, it, it, it probably is weed. <laughs> But I suspect that the the University of Georgia area is going to smell much more skunky piney in the next few weeks and months as this goes forward. The GBI says they're close to a test, but they haven't gotten there yet. Now, when we come back, will the invasion of Greenland begin? I'm hoping so. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. If you would like to call into the program, the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. And I do have to say that we probably, instead of playing my normal intro, we should have played this one today. Oh, say can you see 
That's right, my friends. We're going to invade Greenland. Yes, we are. That's the Army Chorus. Absolutely. We're going to invade. Well, actually, we're not. Um, Greenland says, nope, not for sale. You can come here. You can be a tourist, but we're not going to be for sale. Of course, it doesn't matter what the Greenlandians think. It's the Danish who matter because the Danes own Greenland. That is right. The president of the United States has been flirting with the idea, asking people in his orbit of friends and, and confidants what they think about the possibility of buying Greenland. Why buy when we can invade? We've already got a military base there. We have 700 soldiers in Greenland. They're a nation of 50, or not a nation, they're a territory of 56,000 people. I think 700 of our finest could take them. Personally, I think we should march through and take Canada. We don't even have to take Eastern Canada. They're a bunch of socialist French speakers. We can go get Ice Texas out in the West and loop around. Uh, but, but here, here's the the story from the new from the Wall Street Journal. People thought this was like not true until last night. It hit the wires in the Wall Street Journal, and people in the White House are confirming that in fact the president was curious about it. President Trump made his name on the world's most famous island, Manhattan. Now he wants to buy the world's biggest. The idea of the United States purchasing Greenland has captured the former real estate developer's imagination, according to people familiar with the discussions, who said Mr. Trump has, with varying degrees of seriousness, repeatedly expressed interest in buying the ice-covered autonomous Danish territory between the North Atlantic and Arctic Oceans. In meetings, at dinners, and in passing conversations, Mr. Trump has asked advisors whether the United States could acquire Greenland, listened with interest when they discuss its abundant resources and geopolitical importance, and, according to two of the people, has asked his White House counsel to look into the idea. Some of his advisors have supported the concept, saying it was a good economic play. Two of the people said, while others dismissed it as a fleeting fascination that will never come to fruition. It is also unclear how the United States would even go about acquiring Greenland, even if the effort were serious. Y'all, here's my theory. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the socialists say, here's our Green New Deal. Donald Trump said, here's our Green New Deal, Greenland. <laughs> you really do have to laugh at this stuff. Now, you should know the United States wanted to buy Greenland right after World War II. Uh, Harry Truman had his Secretary of State approach the foreign minister of Denmark about buying Greenland at the time. The Danes were not interested in selling, but it allowed us to put military installations and surveillance facilities on Greenland because Harry Reid recognized, or Harry Reid, Harry, Harry Truman recognized it was of geostrategic importance in the Cold War against the Soviets. You essentially are able to control the Arctic and you're able to control the Northwest Passage and you're able to control shipping routes and uh, military transport port lanes in and out of the Arctic area and the North Atlantic that the Russians use. And also the Chinese, as they have expansionist tendencies in the Arctic area, it actually works well. And if, by the way, there's a passing nuclear missile headed to the United States, you get even more advanced warning if you own Greenland. It makes sense, but it's not going to happen. So there's another story out there you should know about. Um, and that is that on his way out, John Danforth, who is the head of the intelligence apparatus of the United States, he's the director of national intelligence. He wants the government to permanently make legal the phone harvesting program of the National Security Agency. The National Security Agency 
has a program where on targeted phones, it pulls in phone call data and text message data of people they're surveilling. They actually don't use the program. And the program has to be reauthorized every few years. John Danforth wants it to be made permanent. Now, the reason that the NSA doesn't use the program is because courts have very specifically limited who they're allowed to target and the information from those people they're allowed to bring in. And in multiple tests over multiple years, they always pulled in more information. And they've been able to reduce the amount of information they pull in, but they haven't been able to reduce it to the standards by which the courts uh, have required that they reduce it to. John Danforth's argument is that, and trust me, this is tied to Greenland, just bear with me. John Danforth's argument is that eventually the technology will catch up where they are able to limit it, so they should not abolish the program. They cannot continue to work on the program and the technology as long as the program is canceled and off the books. So Congress needs to legalize the program for them to work on it, um, even if they don't use the information. So that that is... Um, a, a very balanced approach from John Danforth. Again, this is a program that pulls in data from cell phones, text messages and phone data. It pulls in more information than courts allow, so we don't use the program. We haven't used the program since 2014. But the law that authorizes the program lapses every few years and has to be renewed. And Danforth's position is they can't even work to fix the program if they don't have the law, so the law needs to be renewed and they shouldn't have to keep renewing this law. They should make it permanent and allow the technology to catch up. Likewise, Danforth's concern is that uh, terrorists continue to advance their technology, and we need to have some sort of legal framework in place to keep up with development, and that's what this law would do. Now, I bring this up in conjunction to the Greenland situation to make a point that I don't think it's made enough, uh, particularly when it comes to Donald Trump, because he's driven everyone insane, and I understand it. Uh, you know, Charlie, my producer, made this point yesterday uh, that it's, it's striking to see a bunch of progressives who hate the president and say the president does, does all sorts of bad things engage in the exact same sort of behavior they accuse the president of doing, and, and they do. But what's so useful to understand, and I think worth pointing out, is that the business of government is still going on. The normal operation of government is still happening. You would rarely know that from the media coverage of the Trump administration. You would think it is all chaos. They refer to it as the chaos presidency. There are leaks from people inside the White House who do not like and have never liked the president. They amplify the whole accusation of the chaos presidency. There are people on the outside who amplify it. But day in and day out, the people entering and exiting the White House are still managing an American economy, as they should, minus the president's tariffs if they could help it. They're still managing the apparatus of national security. They're still managing the apparatus of national defense. They're still managing the apparatus of our interior. They're still managing the apparatus of the regulatory frameworks of the United States and the bureaucracy. And everybody focuses on the president, the president's character, and the president's, frankly, abnormal behavior compared to pre other presidents. He is a destabilizing force. But that doesn't mean that beneath the surface, everything is destabilized. That's not true at all. The operations of government are still running and still running competently. Now, the left would have you assume that everything is chaos and everything is bad, but that's simply not true. 
And this is an example with the thoughtful approach by this administration to what should be done with this program, how they should proceed, and how they are arranging things with Congress and trying to negotiate with Congress to get it done just shows that, relatively speaking, this is not an abnormal presidency in the policies given. Are there policies I don't like? Yes. I vehemently am opposed to the tariff program. I, I really do think that we could do a better job in immigration than this president wants to do. I really do think there's some unnecessary combativeness from this White House just to rile up the base and keep the base excited about him in a fight. But overall, by and large, the policies coming from this president, they're actually pretty mainstream. And you would never know that from the media or from the left or, frankly, even from some Republicans. It's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. Franklin and Forsyth, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how are you doing, sir? I wanted to question you on one or two things real quickly. Uh, the free trade versus fair trade is what I called about, but you gave a great uh, you know, homage to the president, but no president ever started off with his own party firing at him his own party not understanding that he wasn't including with the Russians. I mean, this, he started with such a deficit. The, the destruction that he's doing, or the disruption, is necessary. And that goes back to the trade question now. Free trade, I'm with you 100%. But we don't have fair trade. And if we don't do these things right now, China will eat our lunch. So it's an ugly Band-Aid. I'm originally from Iowa. I don't want to see the farmers hurt. I get it. I'm with you. But we've got to do it. Look, there are a lot of people who agree with you, Franklin, particularly when it comes to China. There, there are a lot of even free trade folks who say, yeah, China, really, they shouldn't be still listed as a developing nation. They're a developed Amen. nation. Um, the, the issue has a lot more to do, I think, with the European tariffs, although China is the focus uh, that a lot of people are complaining about. But the Chinese ones are having an impact, particularly in the technology sector. Uh, but... A lot of people share your view. Thank you for the phone call. Yeah, and what I mean by that, what I mean by a lot of people share Franklin's view, there is a growing bipartisan consensus. David Perdue and I talked about this at the resurgent gathering. That everybody agrees tariffs are bad, tariffs are bad for the economy, but China has been doing things that are unfair. For example, uh, the United States decided years ago to bring China into the World Trade Organization thinking that if they brought China into a world into the World Trade Organization, they would, as a country, follow the rules. And one of the, the ways to bring them into the World Trade Organization without disrupting the Chinese economy at the time was to label China a developing economy, not a developed economy. And now they are a developed economy, but they're still listed as a developing economy. At the same time, though, the president's saying that Americans aren't paying more because of tariffs, that China's paying, and that's not true. He's not being honest on this point. You're paying higher prices because of the tariffs. It's not the Chinese paying them. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB, and we have very important announcements that I need to make to you. Uh, just so you know, uh, we are going to give you a chance to win $500 or more in free gas. Yeah, $500 or more. So here's what you do. If you want to be a part of this, we're going to be running this contest for the next month on a daily basis. You go to or a weekday basis. Go to WSBRadio.com and register. Then you got to listen weekdays at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. 
And if we announce your name, you call in and you win. And this starts on Monday, by the way. It starts on Monday at 8 a.m. during Atlanta's Morning News on 95 and 5 tenths WSB. <laughs> 95.5 WSB. Um, seriously, $500 in, in real gas money. So you pay attention, stick around, listen, and we will try to make it entertaining. And I will try to be as informative as possible on a host of issues for you, including this one. Uh, White House sources are signaling some worry in the gun regulation fight uh, because the NRA is falling apart. Uh, things are not good at the National Rifle Association. I have actually talked to some people in the White House about this one. Uh, after reading this article in the Politico, the national this came out this afternoon. The National Rifle Association's internal turmoil is preventing the once mighty organization from crafting a plan to blunt the latest gun control push, highlighting the group's weakness at a crucial political moment. The disarray at the NRA is alarming allies who say President Donald Trump and Congress appear to have a brief opening to pass legislation while the group is so feeble that it isn't able to aggressively lobby lawmakers against proposals or hold them accountable for their votes, according to a half dozen Republicans familiar with the situation. I want to read this paragraph again to you, and you need to pay very close attention to it. The disarray at the National Rifle Association is alarming allies who say President Trump and Congress now have a brief opening to pass gun control legislation while the group is so feeble it isn't able to aggressively lobby lawmakers against proposals or hold them accountable, according to a half dozen report, uh, uh, Republicans who are familiar um, this, this is, this is actually striking. And I've been telling you since March about the problems of the NRA. Now, Carolyn Meadows is the NRA president. She's here in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area in Cobb County. She's standing behind Wayne LaPierre. They got some problems. Chris Cox was their longtime lobbyist, highly respected in Washington, D.C. by Republicans and Democrats. And Cox thought that the NRA was going too far into a partisan Republican political operation. They had in the past been able to build bridges with some Democrats in Congress uh, who they were able to ally with them. Uh, but the NRA hired a an outside advertising agency. What is it? Uh, not Alexander McQueen, something McQueen uh, as their outside advertising agency. And in so doing, uh, basically became a, a g- g- pro-gun Fox News, doing a lot of live streaming TV shows and spending a lot of money. And there are allegations that Wayne LaPierre, who's been there a very long time as their CEO, has been misspending money. There's a lot of infighting. Board members were punished after calling for LaPierre to go away because of spending NRA resources. Uh, They're fighting with each other. They're not getting things done. Uh, Chris Cox has now left the building, resigning because he thought LaPierre needed to go as well, according to some reports, and participating and trying to push him out. Oliver North was put in charge as the president. He raised all sorts of red flags about profligate spending at the NRA and, and using this outside advertising agency. The lawyer for the NRA in charge of all of this is a huge donor to Democrats. And when the NRA pays him money, he donates to Democrats who are anti-gun. He's kin to the advertising agency. It's just a huge mess. And they need to be cleaned up. 
and they're not cleaning themselves up. They're saying they have nothing wrong. This is an organization in its death throes unless someone performs CPR on them, and they seem absolutely hell-bent on not being helped right now. That is a huge problem, and your money going to the NRA is doing nothing to stop the advance of a gun control agenda. And you've even had the president's family calling members of Congress trying to get red flag laws passed despite the president's tweets. You got problems if you're an NRA member. You got problems, and that organization needs to be cleaned up. Y'all, I, I can't understate the problem here enough. Uh, so Chris Cox, has, for a long time, ran the, what is it, um, uh, National Rifle Association INA, ILA, I can't remember. Basically, their, their legislative affairs section. He was highly respected. He's left now to form an outside consulting group that supposedly will do Second Amendment issues. There are a lot of people who think he needs to take LaPierre's place, um, but he's refu- or the, LaPierre won't go away. This really is a bad situation for Second Amendment groups. That being said, there are some fantastic other groups out there. Gun Owners of America is one I have long supported. Uh, Gun Owners of America is a great, great organization. Um, there's also Georgia Carey here in the state. That's a good organization. Uh, nationwide, you've got individual Second Amendment right groups in the individual states. But the NRA has always been the one that really had the national. It, it certainly lives rent-free in the Democrats' head. The Democrats continue to attack the NRA on a daily basis, uh, blaming the NRA for gun violence, equating the NRA to a terrorist organization, and yet the NRA is in its death throes. Back in the 70s, there was a coup at the NRA. There were a bunch of squishy people on guns who were in charge, and the people who actually believed in the Second Amendment were able to take over the organization and turn it into an effective, effective Second Amendment group. But like so much of the conservative movement these days, uh, it has essentially sold out for cash, I think. Stating my opinion here on the NRA, I've given them some money in the past few years when they've been under fire, but I'm not a big fan. And this this NRA TV really seemed to make no sense. They were just playing to the crowd. Some of their aggressiveness after some school shootings really playing to the crowd, not actually trying to have a, a discussion. They started coming under attack from Democrats and even the media, and they started behaving like a partisan outfit instead of a civil rights organization. And at the end of the day, the NRA is a civil rights organization. It is your civil right to keep and bear arms. It was the NRA who helped uh, advance the rights of black people after the, after the Civil War, the predecessor organizations of the NRA to help black people keep and bear arms to fight off bad people who wanted to harm them. The right to keep and bear arms is a civil right. And the civil rights organization that is designed to protect people's right to keep and bear arms has turned into a, just a scam, essentially, uh, where you give them money and, and other people get fancy wardrobes and, and bad live stream shows on not even on cable, really. And they've given up the fight for the Second Amendment in Congress. Even Republicans are saying they're not dealing with me. Here's the troubling thing. I talked to people in the White House after this political report came out. And people in the White House who care about this issue are telling me the NRA is nowhere to be seen on this issue. And it's the Republicans who are concerned in raising red flags about the NRA. They need the NRA, and the NRA is too busy fighting amongst itself to actually stand up for the Second Amendment right now. 
you should be concerned if you support the Second Amendment. Do you know I learned something today? So we've got a bunch of people coming tomorrow, uh, family members. I'm cooking out for them. Got a Wagyu beef brisket that a buddy of mine sent me. Uh, and so I'm smoking it for some of uh, my wife's family. And I wanted a deviled egg recipe. Well, I've got one, but I just want to see how much mayonnaise does the normal recipe tell you to. I'm shocked. There are people who don't put pickle relish in their deviled egg recipe. It is, and they're all Yankees too. Every good Southerner knows you need pickle relish in your and maybe some brisket or some pulled pork too. But nonetheless, I'm I'm horrified by how Yankees make Southern food. 